don't go. It's Passover. You need children. If we don't have enough, we might have to rent some. <laughs> so it's wonderful to be back at Community Bible Church. And on behalf of uh, all the Glazer girls, it's three of them, Sahava, Miriam, and Jenny. Maybe we can move that back. Uh, thank you for praying for us and supporting us as missionaries in the Holy Land, Brooklyn. And uh, <laughs> so we, we deeply appreciate the relationship. And uh, so I've been looking forward to coming here. I have not presented Messiah in the Passover here. If I did, it's a long time ago. And so uh, this is great. It's a unique year, as you well know. Uh, Jesus died a month, uh, rose a month before he died. You don't get that one. Uh, we celebrated Easter. We're not celebrating Passover until uh, later on this month. Actually, April 22nd, the day after my birthday, which is really good because I've grown up. Uh, so my birthday is April 21st. So I'll expect a lot of, you know, you know. But, but you've got to understand, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which means that I have to have an unleavened birthday cake. Okay, now... Few things are more horrible, just so you know. So I, I made it by one day this year, so I'm really grateful. And, but uh, the Lord has uh, been good to our family, and so continue to pray for us. My youngest, uh, Jenny, is made Aliyah, which means literally to go up, but it means that that's what you say when someone becomes a citizen of Israel via the law of return. And so uh, even with her infam infamous apostate father, she was able to... Uh, get citizenship, and uh, I think it was because Zahava's cousins live in Israel, and they both have government jobs, and they know how to fill out forms, so I think Jenny kind of went right through, and uh, my little 29-year-old is uh, Biola grad, MA in classics from Fordham, working on a PhD in classics in Hebrew at Hebrew University, is teaching Greek at the only Jewish Bible school in Israel and at another institute. So she's teaching Greek in Hebrew in Israel. She's always been like that. And the other one, at least, is just completely normal. She's a Jewish lawyer, Jewish lawyer on the Upper West Side. So. And that's Miriam. Zahava just, you know, we have an educated bunch, but uh, Zahava had to get a PhD. Uh, she was forced to because we have this Charles Feinberg program in MDiv and Messianic Jewish Studies in partnership with Biola and Talbot, which we run out of our new center in Brooklyn. And uh, so we're training new missionaries to the Jews and Messianic leaders. It's the only MDiv and Messianic Jewish Studies in the country. You might say, what in the world is Messianic Jewish Studies? Good question. It's sort of like a combination of Judaism and Christianity, evangelical Christianity and some form of Judaism, anyway. So uh, they learn all sorts of things from Hebrew to rabbinic studies to uh, straight evangelical Christian theology. So it's quite the combination. And uh, so we needed, because we're an extension, uh, I have a PhD, though I'm not an academic. I have it in missions, which is not real. And uh, so, so I have a PhD, and everybody else has PhDs, so, but we needed one more PhD, and Zahava was nominated. So she already had three master's degrees, so she... So she had to get a Ph.D. So she has a Ph.D. in Jewish history, and, uh, which is amazing. She went through CUNY, uh, CUNY Graduate School, which has a great Jewish history program, fantastic. And she did it in only eight years, so it was pretty good. And, but never once, because it's a public institution. I mean, on her 
application. You know, she worked with Jews for Jesus, Chosen People Ministries, graduate of Fuller Seminary. I mean, you know, we may as well sent them a note saying she is a Jewish believer in Jesus. And uh, nobody said a word for eight years. They were so careful. And so uh, she got the PhD. And the topic she wrote on is very significant for a very significant Jewish organization. And she has a chapter in an upcoming 100th anniversary book for the Joint Distribution Committee, which was the main Jewish relief agency throughout the Holocaust. And Zahava has a chapter in their commemoration book. I don't know. If they don't know, it's their problem. And so uh, the Lord is just doing some uh, really wonderful things. And uh, so uh, we are now approaching uh, the other Holy Week uh, this year. And uh, But just so you know it, I'll, I'll explain it to you. The Council of Nicaea met in 325. Does everybody, none of you were there, though. Okay, but it, it, it did happen. Take my word for it. And they decided to decouple Judaism from Christianity, which tended to be a theme within the church. And so they uh, changed calendars. And so you now have uh, the Christian calendar, which is a solar calendar, and you have the Jewish calendar, which is a lunar calendar, and the dates don't always meet up. And so we now have some very interesting differences. Next year will be much better. And uh, so that's why you have the resurrection, which is based on a very complex astronomical formula as well, which I won't go into since I don't really understand it, but it's there. And look it up in Wikipedia. And, and so you have Easter and Passover separated because they're on two different calendars. And then they fall out on our calendar. So it gets very complicated. And so uh, next year we'll be fine. But I thought a lot about this because, you know, I've already done this presentation, you know, 20 times during Holy Week and before Holy Week. And I thought to myself, I can't believe I have to do this again. And, but, and I have been. And what the joy is, is I get, it's sort of like celebrating communion every day. And so it's been fantastic. So I'm kind of looking forward to the next year this happens. Only it would be really nice if Passover happened before Easter. But I can't complain. Uh, so it's a, a great joy to be able to do this. And you can pray for me and for Zahava because we're now walking into the Passover season. For years and years and years, my, uh, when I was younger and a younger believer and so on, and my parents were alive, and my grandparents were alive. Let's just say Passovers were tense because everybody knew what Sahava and I believed, and it was just always very tense. And uh, sometimes I was not disinvited, but a few of my relatives were just concerned about me saying something or whatever, and upsetting Grandma and Grandpa, and which I did eventually. And actually, my grandparents on my mom's side never talked to me again. That was the toughest thing I've ever experienced as a believer. So anyway, but now uh, we'll have Passover, uh, actually one in New Rochelle and one in uh, Upper Saddle River. And guess who leads the Passover Seders now? But I can't do what I'm going to do today. But I don't need to because everybody knows. So uh, they've all been hearing the gospel for over 40 years. So uh, from Zahav and I and from our kids. So, but you can pray for us. It seems that I, my prayer is always that the Lord would lead me to the one person in my family that is willing to hear. 
And it's almost like every year it's a different person. And so we've actually, Passover's been great because it gives you such a wonderful framework to talk about uh, Jesus. And so these questions naturally come up. And so we've had wonderful times sharing the gospel. So I don't know who it will be this year, but I pray it will be someone. So, all right. Now, how many of you have been to a real live, genuine Jewish Passover? Some of you? Okay, good. Uh, This won't be it, just so you know. Don't have much time and don't have any food. So this is going to be quick. We're basically going to uh, teach about the Lord's Supper because you understand the Lord's Supper, the first one was a Passover. And to better understand the Lord's Supper, communion, to better understand it, we need to understand Passover. But you probably know more about it than you think. Have you seen that painting by Da Vinci of the Last Supper, some of you? Okay, great, great. Now, this is a sophisticated group, I know. And so a bunch of frustrated art historians here, I'm sure. So tell me, what were they eating at the Last Supper for dinner? Just call it out. Who said that? Fish. You know, it usually takes a half an hour to get that answer. Okay, so yes, it wasn't lamb or ham, of course, but it was, <laughs> it, it was, it was fish. And the reason it was fish is because Da Vinci believed Jesus and the disciples were good Catholics and ate fish on Friday night, which is when he felt the Passover fell out. And then you saw the fluffy loaves of white bread on the plate. Of course, Jewish people don't eat fluffy loaves of white bread on Passover. We eat matzah unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. And if you had to eat it for eight nights straight, you'd know why it's the bread of affliction. (laughs) But it was to commemorate our haste in leaving Egypt. We wouldn't even have time for our bread to rise. And so actually in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, you'll see in in that chapter, I I know you have it memorized, but if you look at Leviticus 23, you'll see that uh, there are the seven great festivals of Israel. And the first two are Passover and unleavened bread. We usually put them together. But Passover is one day. Unleavened bread is seven days. It's the longer one. But Jewish people, even today, we combine it into an eight-day festival. And we just call it Passover. Very few people talk about unleavened bread. We just don't eat bread. And on the first two nights, we have what's known as a Seder. And Seder is a Hebrew word meaning order or liturgy. And the liturgy that night is found in a book, and everybody has their own version. This is the Jewish Wild West. So everybody creates their own version. And this is the Haggadah. And it's, the core of it is always very similar, but the artwork changes, and a lot of things change. This one is especially changed since this is a Messianic Haggadah, and it shows the fulfillment in Jesus all the way along. And so the Haggadah is the, means the telling, and it's the guide throughout the Passover Seder, the order of service. So it guides us throughout all of the uh, events of that evening. The point of the Seder is to remind the children of how God delivered the Jews from Egyptian bondage because Jewish people always feel they're one generation away from forgetting what God did. And so we take great pains. And so before there was YouTube and PowerPoint, the rabbis had to come up with something. Okay, And so... We have all of these elements that I've set before you that I hope you can see somehow. But all of these elements are symbols that help tell the story of the Passover. All right? So now we're going to begin. The house is cleansed. All the leaven is gone. We either threw it away or sold it to a Gentile, which you can do. So everything's gone. And mom, who worked hard to cleanse the house, 
lights the candles to initiate the Passover Seder. And she says a prayer. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kuchanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu Al-Lahad Shel Pesach. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by his commandments, commanded us to light the lights of Passover. So now we have a cleansed home, ceremonially pure. Now we have the Shekinah glory, the presence of God filling the Jewish home. And now grandpa or dad, whoever is leading the Passover, say to Eve, can you put that down there for me somewhere? Thanks. Grandpa now wears a ceremonial robe called a kittle. And uh, have any of you seen this before? Some of you? Very orthodox. Yeah. So I was raised uh, modern orthodox. And so my grandfather always wore the kittle. And uh, so I always wanted one. And so I wear the kittle. And the kittle, of course, is white. And white in Judaism is a symbol of purity. So that night he's a priest in his home, leading his family to God. Also, white in Judaism is a symbol of royalty. And so that night, he's a king in his home, usually the only night of the year. (laughs) And then he wears a hat, which also reminds him of his priesthood, a mitre. And that night, of course, he is a priest. And so now we have a pure house. We have the glow of the candles reminding us of the presence of God. We have a priest leading his family to God. We have a table which is symbolic for an altar. So you've now walked into the temple. Now, did you bring your Haggadahs with you? Just, oh, sorry, Dick, I f- forgot to mention it. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great blessing then because if, uh, if you do have your New Testaments, it comes with a Haggadah. It's embedded in the Gospels because Jesus celebrated a very similar uh, Passover to what I celebrate every year with my family. And when I was seeking the Lord and reading, reading the New Testament for the first time, I was quite shocked about two things. Number one, Jesus never celebrated Christmas, which I thought he did. <laughs> and, no, and number two, Jesus celebrated Passover just like I did. And I, I could see it. And so I like to refer to the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your New Testaments, you can open to Luke chapter 22, one of the incidences of the Passover in the Gospels. And uh, we'll refer to this a a few times. Now, during Passover, we take four cups of wine. I'm not going to get into the wine grape juice uh, controversy, which is splitting churches all across America. And... uh, Trust me, it was either, neither grape juice nor wine. Just drink some Manischewitz. You'll see. It's actually cough medicine. So the <laughs> four glasses a year keeps Jewish people from becoming alcoholics. And so we take four cups of wine. Every cup has its own name, its own meaning. The first cup we take is the cup of sanctification. To sanctify means to make holy from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means to, to cut So we sep- or separate. So we are now separating this night and these eight nights from all other nights. They are unique. They are special. And so we raise the cup of sanctification, sometimes called the cup of blessing, and we chant a prayer to initiate the Seder. I'm going to chant the prayer, and because you sing so wonderfully, I'm going to uh, teach you the Hebrew choral response to the prayer. Uh, 
in Hebrew. You're going to learn it. I guarantee you. So here's the prayer. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alam Borei Pari HaGafen Your response. Listen carefully. Amen. And you can leave them. So, okay. Try it again. Amen. Wow, your Hebrew is so good. <laughs> Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. We read about cup number one, the cup of blessing, in Luke, the 22nd chapter, beginning at the 14th verse. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. We recline on pillows because we are royalty. And these are supposed to be royal pillows, but we all use house pillows. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, much like I did, by the way, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Cup number one, the cup of blessing. Cup number two is not recorded in any of the Gospels, but it is in the Haggadah, and it's called the cup of plagues because we're telling the story. And so we raise the cup of plagues in our left hand, take out our right pinky, and we dip our pinky into the cup and drop a drop of the wine onto our plate. Previously, this symbolized the uh, sweetness and joy of redemption. Now it symbolizes the blood of judgment. And so, uh, oh, I need your help. So raise your cup in your left hand, your imaginary cup. Okay, use your imagination. Come on, you can do that. Adults have imagination. Okay. All right, take out your right pinky. That's the right one. Good. Okay, now dip, drop. Dip, Drop. Good hand-eye coordination. Okay. All right. Now, I need you to dip and drop and say the plague at the same time together, but after me, so you know what it is. And I need it with enthusiasm because this is supposed to be drama. This is designed to scare the daylights out of children. Okay, so let's, let's do our best. Are you ready? Blood. Frogs. Vermin. Mixture. Boils, hail, gnats, locusts, yuck. Not you know. Every Jewish child learns at a young age that when you harden your heart towards God, He brings judgment. In other words, all disobedience towards God brings judgment, no matter what it is. And so your sin brings judgment, and you always are accountable for your sin. So either you bear the judgment or someone else does. Now, uh, at this point, uh, we look at the Seder plate. And each of these items usually sit on the Seder plate. And uh, these are not hors d'oeuvres. They tell us about the story. The first item we take is parsley, the symbol of life. Passover is a spring festival. And we take the symbol of life and we dip it in salt water, the symbol of tears, because life during the Egyptian bondage was bathed in tears. So to identify with our ancestors, we all dip and we eat. It's great. The next dipping we take is called charoset. Try that. Okay, that's pretty good. Now, this is my grandmother's recipe from the old country, Brooklyn. So you 
you chop up the apples, put in some chopped walnuts, some honey, some cinnamon, some Manischewitz grape wine, kosher for Passover. You stir it all up, toss in a dash of imagination, and you've got it. Can you see it? Yeah, no, I couldn't either. It's, it reminds us of the mortar the Jewish people used to build the bricks in Egypt. And of course, if you've read the story or seen the movie, you know that that, that was a bitter experience. And the kids say, why do we remember such a, uh, a bitter experience with a sweet mixture? And Grandpa says, on behalf of the sages of Israel, when redemption is near, even the bitterness of slavery is sweet. Don't you love that? Boy, so many things can go wrong in this world. Do you believe that? <laughs> But, you know, you don't have to become bitter. You can stay sweet, especially those of us that love the Lord, because we know that Jesus is coming back. And so our Redeemer draweth nigh. Now, what I'm going to do is invite a young person or two to taste the uh, charoset. And so I need volunteers. Is anybody here under 14 years old? Raise your hand. Oh, thank you for volunteering. Okay. And I'll take a girl, too. Okay. Come on up. So good of you to volunteer. Appreciate that. Now, do you like uh, chopped apples? Yeah. Great. You like chopped apples? Good. What's your name? Jonathan. Jonathan. Claire. Claire. Okay, Jonathan and Claire. Um, do you like matzah? Yeah. Good. <laughs> we find matzah brings out the. Fl- you do. Okay. Well, mat- That's okay. Matzah brings out the flavor of everything you put on it. Here you go, Claire. Okay, at the count of three, let's eat. One, two, three, in the mouth. Good, isn't it? We make enough for all week. Okay, well, if you like that, you're going to love the next one. The next one is the bitter herb, in this case, horseradish. And we take enough horseradish to make ourselves cry because... We want to identify with the bitterness of the slavery our ancestors endured, and so we take just <laughs> men first. No, no, no. I know, I know, I know you're willing to do it, John. But hold on one second. Wait, because we have to torture Claire also. Okay, Claire, there you go. Okay, one, two, three, in the mouth. Good, huh? Wow. <laughs> you like it? No. <laughs> Would you like seconds? Okay, thank you, kids. Appreciate it. And I guarantee you will never forget Passover. And uh, we never forget Passover. I mean, we spend all night waiting for this, you know. And uh, if we get through it, it's like crossing the Jordan River, you know. <laughs> and, but again, uh, the, rabbis, the rabbis have this idea that we should feel like we were there at the Passover, that we were enslaved, we were redeemed. And uh, so we should strongly identify with our ancestors. Uh, the egg was added to the Seder plate after the time of Jesus. It was added in 78. I hope this is hard boiled. It was added uh, after 70 A.D., And it reminds us of the destruction of the temple. Why? Chickens lay eggs every day. Sacrifices were roasted every day. And so we take an egg. We roast it brown. Usually boil it in coffee. But we roast it brown. And then, of course, it should be hard-boiled. And then we take a piece of the egg. We dip it in salt water, the symbol of tears. And we eat it. Why? 
to remind us that even though we've been redeemed from Egyptian bondage, we are still in bondage because we're not back in Israel. We're spread out. We're in the diaspora. And so we're waiting for the day that God gathers the Jewish people, sends the Messiah, gathers the Jewish people, brings us all back to the land of Israel, rebuilds the temple, and restores the sacrifices. That's all in the egg. And so that's the traditional hope of religious Jewish people. Now, a lot of your secular Jewish friends would say, no, the egg is for egg salad the day after Passover. Okay, that's, that's what they would say. But uh, where I grew up and where I live in Brooklyn, and uh, 50% of Israelis are now uh, on the traditional Orthodox side. Recent Pew survey just came out two weeks ago. And so we know that that, that would give us about 3.5 million Jewish people. And so I can honestly say that millions of Jewish people, when they come to this egg, believe it seriously, that God's going to send the Messiah, bring us back to Israel, and rebuild the temple, and restore the sacrifices. Now, that gives us a message to our Jewish friends and to our family. And uh, it's really uh, embedded in, in, in the bone. So we raise the shank bone of the lamb. And Grandpa tells the story of Exodus 12. Actually, in the Haggadah, we read most of Exodus chapter 12, where God told us that he would come through the land of Egypt and strike dead the firstborn male of any Jewish or Egyptian home. Now, how many firstborn males do we have here? Just raise your hand. Well, you would have been dead. I just, okay, that, that helps you understand this. I want you to feel like you were there too. And so your life was in danger, as was mine. And so God told the Jewish people to take a spotless, unblemished lamb and to watch it for three days and then to kill it on the 14th of Nisan. This is the month we're in now, the Hebrew month. And then to take the blood of that perfect, innocent, healthy lamb and pour it into a basin and then put it on the lentil and the doorposts of the house. And then God would pass through the land of Egypt, but pass over every home that was protected by the blood, that perfect, innocent little lamb. And the, and the Hebrew word speaks about a young lamb. Well, it paints an incredible prophetic picture, doesn't it? And it's, it's picked up by Isaiah, where he speaks about the coming servant of the Lord, that he would be like a lamb led to his slaughter. And then, of course, Yohanan Hamatbil, John the Baptist, when he sees his cousin Yeshua coming to get baptized at the Jordan River, he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Comes to take away the sin of the world. Now, you understand what John was saying, but I always like to think about what the Jewish people on the banks of the Jordan were thinking. <laughs> I mean, what could they possibly thought? There's Jesus, the carpenter, the Galilean itinerant preacher, and, uh, you know, just a uh, little over 30 years old and, and coming to be uh, uh, baptized. And uh, baptism wasn't strange because it was a Jewish uh, rite of purity. But, you know, to say that he's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, the only image they could have possibly had was Passover. And indeed... Jesus was the Passover lamb, wasn't he? Perfect, innocent, sinless. And his blood was shed and poured out on the altar of Calvary, wasn't it? And today, when a man, woman, Jew, or Gentile, no matter 
who you are, whatever your philosophy of life might be, whatever your background might be, when you, by faith, apply the sacrifice of Jesus to the doorposts of your heart. You see, then the wrath of God passes over you. And you pass from death into life. And, you know, I, I, I think about uh, the Apostle Paul, who was a rabbi, <laughs> who grew up celebrating Passover every year. We forget that. And when Paul wrote, even Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. You know, can you imagine the image that he really did have? It wasn't just of Jesus dying, but it was of the whole expanse of redemption history. Understanding that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan, given even before the foundation of the world. He was the Lamb of God. And it also reminds us that to become a follower of Jesus actually involves a decision. It, it involves a choice. So you can't just sort of slink into it. There's a, there's a line where you understand it maybe in your head and even in your heart, but God wants us to say, yes, he is the Messiah. We need to receive Jesus as our Savior and Messiah. And uh, Passover makes that so clear. And I hope that You've made that decision, young or old. I hope that you're positive that if you were to stand before God today, that you would know that the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah, covers your sin. My family has never figured that out. Yet. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, during Passover... We uh, hold up this matzotash. And the matzotash has three compartments. Oops. You've got to hold it up the right way, though. And it has three compartments. And in each compartment, you have a piece of matzah. The rabbis say it refers to God, the priests, and the people. The priests are in the middle, the mediators between sinful man and a holy God. So grandpa takes out the middle piece of matzah. He breaks it, puts part of it back takes the other piece and wraps it in a pouch. Nice one like this. The kids hide their eyes, which we're not going to do today. And we play a game. And we hide the matzah. Then at the end of the meal, the children are told to go find the missing piece of matzah, which now is known as the afikomen, a Greek word. How a Greek word slipped in, we don't know. But it means that which is to come later, afikomen or afikomen. And so... The lucky kid gives it back to grandpa who has to pay him for it. You have to redeem it. Redemption is all through. And these days it's actually really hard because kids take Apple Pay and PayPal and, you know, and, you know, once that credit card comes out, it's a lot of money. And so, so grandpa pays and then takes the middle piece of matzah and begins to break off pieces about the size of an olive and gives it to everybody at the table. And then everybody takes it, and eats it. The middle piece of matzah, the piece of the priest, broken, wrapped, hidden, brought back, and distributed. Reading from Luke twenty-two nineteen, And when he had taken some bread, read that as matzah, and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
I hope that you'll remember this the next time you take the Lord's Supper. Remember that matzah is unleavened. Jesus was sinless. Remember that matzah is striped and pierced. And he was pierced through for our transgressions. And by his stripes we are healed. He is the mediator and sacrifice. He died. He was wrapped for burial, hidden in a tomb, but he crushed death. And he rose from the grave as we will rise as well. And he gives his life to all who believe. That, brothers and sisters, is our communion bread. And then uh, we come to the third cup of wine, the cup of redemption. Again, redemption always takes a, it always costs something. It costs somebody something. In the ancient Exodus, it was the shed blood of that little lamb. And so Jesus raises the third cup after the meal, which is traditionally, and it's always the one after the meal. So we know it is. And he raises this third cup and reading in verse 20 of Luke 22. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten. So we know it's the cup of redemption. Saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. No longer was Jesus speaking about the shed blood of an animal, but the shed blood of the only begotten Son of God. And it was no longer shed for redemption from Egypt. It went way, way Further than that, it was redemption from the bondage of sin and death. And the good news is it wasn't for Jews alone. It was for Jews and Gentiles, for all who would believe. And it was the very fulfillment of the promise in Jeremiah 31 that God would make a new covenant with the house of Israel and all those who are joined to the house of Israel through faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. He would write his law upon our hearts. He would put our, his spirit in our hearts. He would turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And that is the new covenant that God made with us. And Jesus inaugurated it and announced it at the Last Supper. And that is our communion cup. So I'm going to pray and you're going to respond. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Now the response to the third cup is the fourth cup. Fourth cup is the Hallel cup, which means praise. So we sing, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How else would you respond to redemption? And then uh, we have one more cup, and that's Elijah's cup. And uh, we send the kids to the front door, open it wide. We sing the song, Elijah, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. We invite Elijah to come sit down, have some chicken soup with matzo balls and, and uh, eat dinner with us because Malachi 3 and 4 promises that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So our hope as Jewish people is that Elijah would prepare the way for the one who would come after him the uh, Messiah, the son of David, which is actually how he's described in the song. And years have gone by. I've checked with Jewish friends and family and uh, Elijah's never showed up. And I imagine he won't this year either. And the cup of Elijah will be poured into the sink and Jewish people will dig in for that long, long wait, that long, long hope that's lasted thousands upon thousands of years. Waiting and waiting for the one who's already come. And that's our message, isn't it? To our Jewish friends and loved ones. There's no longer any need to wait. 
because the Messiah has come. And his body was broken in death and his blood was shed for our sins. And he rose from the grave. And so we have the rare opportunity to tell our Jewish friends during this Passover season that the Messiah has come. And you know, there is one part where Christians can strongly identify with Jewish people, though. And that is, you're waiting too. Not for him to come and redeem you. That's happened. But you're waiting for the complete fulfillment. He's done it all. But there's more to come. And you're waiting for that great day when Jesus returns. And he gathers us all to that great banquet. And we all get free tickets to Israel. And we look forward to that great day. So when you share the gospel with your Jewish friends, you can tell them, you know, even though we believe Jesus is the Messiah, you know, we understand what it's like to wait. But you can either wait with a sense of fulfillment or wait with a sense that you don't have any of what's coming. It's a wonderful thing to have the down payment and then to look forward to what is to come. The Jewish people have always understood that Passover looked forward to a greater day of redemption. In fact, we end Passover with this song, Lashana Haba Yerushalayim. Next year, we will be in Jerusalem. That's the Jewish hope. And in a sense, that's our hope as well. So we can unite our hearts with our Jewish friends in that way. Well, that's Passover. Now here's dessert. So take out your chosen people brochure. And as always, and I see a lot of new people at the church, so we're going to participate together in the tradition of the tearing of the brochure. You'll see, this is miraculous. You'll see what happens. And so just fold it along the perforation. At the count of three in Hebrew, count after me, we are going to rip at the same time to demonstrate our unity in the Messiah. And we'll also show that adults like crafts. Okay, so here we go. All right, count after me. Echad, Shtayim, Shalosh. See, our unity is a miracle. Now, I want you to keep the large part. Remember to pray for us. And it's really important, if you would, take out a pencil or a pen and fill this out. And uh, every month, one of the Chosen People staff will be coming to your home for dinner. (laughs) And uh, let us know when you're going to have pork chops and we'll negotiate the date. So fill this out if you would, and uh, we'll be collecting these from you somehow at the end of the service. So fill these out if you would, and uh, don't neglect the, uh, the reverse side. We have some great trips to Israel, and we're, for the first time ever, we're doing what we call Encounter Israel. We are doing an adult, not a young person's, but an adult, not that young people can't be adult, but we're doing an adult missions trip to Israel. 
So if you've gone on a tour and you want to kick it up a notch and actually do ministry in Israel, next a year from this spring, a year from now, we'll be taking probably 30 or 40 people to Israel to do ministry with the Chosen People team in Israel. And I'll share more about what we're doing in Israel at the Sunday School Hour. And so uh, you can go on a tour or you can go to minister. And so, and young people, we have oodles of trips to uh, Israel, uh, three or four every year. And uh, for young people, and uh, not only to Israel, but we also are finding wandering Israelis all over the globe in uh, India and Latin America, New Zealand, and we're sharing the gospel with those kids who get out of the army and are seeking all sorts of things. And we bring them Jesus. So, so please fill this out if you would, and we'll send you the newsletter every month, and we'll collect these from you. On the back table, I have schlepped a bunch of books and other things, and so I hope that you will lighten my load. So we've got uh, books on all of the festivals by Daniel Fuchs, one of the former leaders of Chosen People, We've got a book, The People, the Land, and the Future of Israel, Everything You Want to Know About Tomorrow, uh, is in that book. And uh, I edited that with Daryl Bach from Dallas Seminary, so that'll be on the, on the back table. A book by Mike Rodelnik, who teaches Jewish studies at Moody, on uh, everything that the media hasn't told you about Israel. Can you imagine? And so that's on the back table as well. Well, I hope you look forward to Passover. Any of you invited to a Seder this year? Going? Okay, some of you are gone. If you'd like to go to one, uh, we're having one at the Yale Club on uh, two, 